بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته ما شاء الله may Allah accept everyone's attendance may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless and fill our lives with nur and happiness and barakah and his mercy you know the Quran says in the Quran al-fajri kana mashhuda that when the Quran is recited during the salatul fajr or the entire fajr salah this is a time when all of the angels are present the angels of the day the angels of the night thus being the most spiritual time in the entire day now if we actually actualize who we are our reality what are we who are we the most simplest way to explain that is we are spiritual beings living in a physical realm that's our reality and the more we can connect with this the more we connect with reality the further we are from this the further we are from reality and if we don't actualize and recognize who we are then we're going to be very far from achieving any kind of anything in this world so our reality like that's that's the most basic thing that of, of the realization that we need to have this is the beginning of everything who am i what am i i am a spiritual being living in a physical world that's my reality if somebody asks you who are you we kind of identify with our bodies our body is just a physical form that we're renting that we're borrowing our actual self is our soul our ruh which is something spiritual so our self is a spiritual being we are spiritual beings and we've been created in a way that this spiritual self is actually immortal it's not going to actually it's not going to die we pass away but it passes what does it mean pass away we pass we pass from one world to the other so the death comes to the actual the body which will come to an end but the soul in itself okay it passes from one to the other and we can see different phases of this so one is when the greatest actualization a person will get and realize is if we can go back to our original self and that is when Allah created you and me for the first time Prophet Adam was created and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took every soul from the back of Adam alayhi salam and then every single soul including our souls as well Allah asked us a question and what was that hmm? Uh, anybody know the words of the Quran? What does the Quran say? What was the question asked to you and me in the world of souls? Yep, in English. Anybody know the Arabic? Yeah, the answer is Qalubala. What, what's the question? That's the one. Alastu bi rabbikum. Alastu bi rabbikum. This is a question that was asked to my and your soul. And the more we go back to this and we can relate to this, the more meaningful our life will be. Because that's what everything we're seeing is all about that. That's what it's all about. We've come here to enact all of that. 
to prove the promise and the covenant we made to Allah. That's the only reason why we're here. Nothing else. Everything else is extra. Everything else is on top of that. And most of what we're doing is to give, just to give comfort and joy and fulfillment to our physical form. Most of what we're doing. Yes, some of it nourishes our spiritual self and our soul as well. But majority of it is to fulfill the needs of our, of our exterior body, which we're going to be giving back, which is on rent at the moment. We're going to be giving back. What's going to travel with us is our soul. So when our soul was first created, Allah took a covenant and it was it's called the Ahd of Alast. And Allah asked a question, Alastu bi rabbikum? Allah said to everyone, am I not your Lord? Am I not your Rabb? And every single soul, including our souls and the souls of all the prophets, the souls of Fir'aun, Qarun, Haman, Shaddad as well that were there, and the Fir'aun of every Muslim, non-Muslim, male, female, young, old, every soul that is going to come till the day of Qiyamah, every single soul said, Bala, of course, of course you are our Lord. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends everybody into the world. And it is to prove that, that covenant that you and I, when I say you and I, I mean our real self, and that is our soul. We made a promise to Allah that we're going to believe in Him, we're going to follow Him, we're going to do as He says. So now we're in this world, and that's the whole reason why Adam salam then ends up in the world. Because Allah made him go through this test. And the test Adam salam goes through in Jannah is to show that the closer you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you will be adorned with His blessings. Uh, this actually feels like we're in Aqsa now, truly in Aqsa, mashallah. This uh, Dr. Sahib made an effort. He, he saw this in Palestine. So he thought he wants to actually bring this to yesterday. Was it yesterday? He was saying, oh, I want to do this. So I said, mashallah, more than welcome. That'll be nice. Jazakallah khair. So, <clears throat> sorry, what was I saying? I forgot what I was saying now. Alastu bi rabbikum. Prophet Adam alayhi salam. So Prophet Adam alayhi salam is in Jannah. And he's now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a plan. Not just for him, but for the rest of mankind to come into this world. And then to see how true we are to that promise that we made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what all this is about. And the closer, the more we realize that, the more we'll fulfill our purpose of being in this world. The further we are from that, the further we are from reality and from why we should be, why we are in this world. So Adam alayhi salam, as we know what happens, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had told them not to eat from a particular tree. And shaitan becomes the enemy. And he continuously keeps telling them. He doesn't say go and eat from the tree. Instead, he says that the only reason you've been told not to eat from the tree is that if you eat from the tree, you'll end up living forever. And if you live forever, then you can be in Jannah forever. If you eat from the tree, you might become a king or something, someone great. And now Adam salam heard it so many times, and it's wrong what we find in biblical sources that it was only Hawa 
that ate from the tree. That's why they blame the woman. Islam doesn't see it like that. But other religions do. But that never gets picked up and only Islam gets picked up. Whereas Islam has never said this. Okay, Quran says, Fa'akala. Okay, they both ate from the tree. Fabadat lahuma sawatuhuma watafiqa. Okay, it's always using a dual pronoun. That both of them, both of them, both of them, both of them. It was never that. Or it was the woman's fault. So that's why they they always really original sin goes back to the woman. So the woman in itself is is wrong. That's how they kind of show it. She was the cause of this. But Islam has never put it like that. It's always said that both of them made this decision. So we learn from here what happens as a result of this. This is, this is something very clear that happened then. And it's a story that everyone believes in. Even people who don't claim to follow a religion. They might not believe in the other prophetic stories. But the story of Adam and Eve is one which is believed by everyone. Even those who don't believe in a God. So not, not just people of religion, people of no religion, people of other religions as well, besides the heavenly religions. This is something that everybody resonates with, everybody kind of relates to. The story of Adam and Eve. One of the things that happens in this particular story is the shedding of clothes and nudity. That as a result of going against what Allah had said, their whole clothing was shed. And we learn that the more distant you are from Allah in this world, the more nude you will be. And this is something that was set in stone from day one. That nudity and being clothless, an act of nudity, is a sign of being the furthest from Allah. And this is for everybody to understand, not just within the Islamic faith. And the Quran has mentioned this very clearly. And they started covering themselves with the leaves. Um, so this is one of the lessons. Anyhow, so Adam salam now comes into the world and his whole progeny is here and you and I end up here. So the real reason why we're here is going back to that, the Ahda of Alast. We're coming towards the days of Hajj. And something that happens at the time of Hajj is we circumambulate the Kaaba. When we go around the Kaaba, one of the important parts of the Kaaba is the Al Hajarul Aswad, the black stone, and the kissing of the black stone, and the passing of the black stone, and why we have to stop at the black stone each time and make a point of raising our hands and kissing it. And it, it's such an integral part of the Hajj, the Umrah, the Tawaf. And one of the reasons the scholars mention, and if we ponder upon the prophetic dua, that he made each time he came to the black stone, which most people don't read by the way. Okay, when you come to the black stone, there is actually a dua to read. Allahumma imanam bik, wa tasdiqam bi kitabik, wa wafa'am bi ahdik, wa tiba'am bi sunnati nabiyika Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then we say, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, and you kiss your hands. And this is because when Allah took this ahad of alast from each and every one of us, Allah took this Ahad of Alast, it says that this promise, this covenant, this agreement Allah took and He placed it there. Later on, He places it there. So each time a person comes there, you remind yourself of this and you say, Allahumma imanam bik. Oh Allah, I have faith in you. Oh Allah, I verify what's in your book. In the book, it's there, in the Quran. Alastu bi rabbikum, qalu balak, shahidina, ala anfusina. Uh, and then, Allahumma imanam bik, wa tasdikam bi kitabik, wa wafa'am bi ahdik. 
and fulfilling the promise that I made to you. This one. And following in the sunnah of your prophet because he came here, he read this dua and he kissed the stone. And then we kiss that stone. It's as if we are embracing, okay, this promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submitting to it that, oh Allah, what you said is true. And this is why as a result of which every time you go there and you kiss the stone, all your sins are forgiven. Because you're submitting to why you're actually here. This is the highest level of actualization in this world. Of realizing why I'm here. Because you're going back to your original roots. So this is why, why do we find the time of Fajr? I mean, anybody who says to me that today being in Fajr wasn't a spiritual experience, I probably wouldn't believe you. No matter how far a person might be in his or her religiosity, Okay, anybody that would have come to the masjid today and been part of this gathering, okay, of Fajr or even post-Fajr, you will feel a level of spirituality. And that is because we are spiritual beings. That is who we are. And when we go to a spiritual gathering, we will benefit because that is who we are. And we need that nourishment constantly. We nourish our physical, but our spiritual needs nourishing because that's our real self. Yes, we're borrowing this body on rent if you're living in a rental property and in that rental property when you moved in it's spanking new everything's shining gleaming and then over time what happens is you start seeing mold and the spider webs and then there's a rat infestation and then it starts smelling and it starts getting dirty and things start cracking and windows start breaking when you start do when this starts happening you're going to speak to the landlord and say, fix this, fix it. There's something wrong with this house. It wasn't like the way it was. And what happens if the landlord doesn't fix it? How will you feel living in there? Will you feel comfortable? You won't feel comfortable. It, you just will feel restless. You'll be disturbed. Right? Exactly in the same way, this body that we've borrowed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we borrowed it, okay, when we took it on rent, it was clean. When we came into this world, it was perfect. There was no blemish, no shortcomings, no faults on it. And our soul lives inside this body as, as rent. It's a spiritual state. And as we go through life, if it's polluted, this is one of the reasons why our soul feels so restless. It feels restless. It doesn't feel at rest. Imagine being living in that rented property which is full of mold and grime and grease and an infestation of, of insects and rats and whatnot. And, and until this, if this is cleaned out, then our soul is at rest. We call this al-nafsul mutma'inna. And if not, then the nafs and the ruh and the soul is not at rest. And this leads people into very dark and dangerous places. Living in the body, but as if not wanting to be there. Um, many people become suicidal as a result of this. Many people lose their mind because of this. Many people end up having all the luxuries of the world, but still not having happiness, still not having peace, still not having contentment. Why? Because we've not actualized who we are and fulfilled that need. We fulfill every other need, but the greatest need is to fulfill that spiritual need. And that is a void and it can only be filled with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's where it comes from. They ask you regarding the soul 
He said, tell them, Where does the soul come from? It comes from Allah. And the nourishment of that comes from Allah as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to understand our reality and uh, connect to it. Connect to it. And this is why we need, we need to be in, I need, okay? I need this. I need to be in such environments, such gatherings. And we need to be people of Quran, the people of the masjid, the people where these things are discussed more and more so that we can benefit our ruhaniyah as well. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Let's do a quick recap of last week's lesson, inshallah. So it's going to be from memory because um, I wasn't able to send the notes. Inshallah, I'll send them both this week. I'm sure we've got some uh, good memories, mashallah, here. What lesson was it, number? So it's a good start. So lesson 43. And we're speaking specifically about Sahaba in Baytul Maqdis in Palestine. Number 17. And then we, we moved on to speaking about the Sahaba that took part in the conquest of Jerusalem with Umar bin Khattab. Number 4. Okay. So, so far, so good. What was the name of the Sahabi? Okay, good, mashallah. Abdullah bin Hudafa as Sahabi. Okay, there's a difference between the seen and the sheen. Like some of our elders, mashallah, say, Subhanallah. <laughs> okay, so we excuse them because of their tongue, but we won't say that because we're able to say Subhanallah. Or is the other one is Bisak. <laughs> um, so. Abdullah bin Hudhafa al-Sahami radiyallahu anhu. Come, let's have some points. Anything, anything you remember? Okay, so he was one of the tasks that he was given was that he was sent to face the emperors of the two greatest superpowers, Persian Empire and then the Roman Empire as well. Yep, that's good. Anything else? Yeah. Negotiation. Yep, that's good. But that was like the last thing we spoke about. So that was quite clever, actually. Clever negotiation. Adilva is good at negotiating. But yeah, that's, that was one of the key things um, from the whole story. If you would have picked up, that was one of the key things. We'll come to that in a moment. Uh, in between that and the beginning, there's some points. You can have a quick recap. Yep, he was one of the earliest Muslims, mashallah. So that's the first thing we said. So he was one of the earliest Muslims. Um, he was sent to both the emperors. Yep.
because so he was sent to Kisra with a letter because the Prophet sent letters to certain emperors and leaders and kings and govern, governments. So when Kisra received it, he ripped it to pieces. And the Prophet said, May Allah rip his kingdom up like he ripped up my letter. And that's what happened um, eventually to the Persian Empire. Um, it was totally destroyed during the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. Uh, anything else? So that, that, was, that was him going to the Persian Empire. When he went to the Roman Empire, who sent him? Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That was a battle that was ongoing. So different armies were sent. So he was sent with one of the armies as well in that direction. However, what happened to them? They were captured and imprisoned. Um, him and many, many Sahaba as well. And what did the king say to him? Okay, I'll give you half of my kingdom if you convert to Christianity. Did he agree? He said no. What did he say? He goes, let alone half of the, your kingdom, even if you give me all of your kingdom and the kingdom of the Arabs, I will not leave Islam for the blink of an eye. So then what did he do? He placed him in, in prison and sent inside. Yes, so he sent inside women that would go in there, dance in front of him. But he, he wasn't interested. The women came out and said, is this a stone or something? He, he's not even interested. He's not inclined to us whatsoever. Then they starved him of food. And once he was starving, they presented pork, wine, alcohol. And he even said that although Islam permits me to eat and drink this, but I don't want to uh, taint the image of Islam. I don't want people to mock and ridicule that. Look, there's a Muslim here in captivity and he's eating pork and drinking wine. I don't want you to make a mockery out of Islam. So to defend the dignity of Islam, I'm not going to eat it. And he, continuously the king is presenting Christianity to him and he's refusing. Then, one of the things we didn't mention is then the king told the soldiers to hang him on a tree. And they told them to shoot arrows towards him. To shoot arrows around him but not at him. Again, that is to try and instill fear inside him so that he might accept Christianity. He might break. Did that break him? No. So when they realized nothing's working at all, they bought a cauldron full of boiling oil. It's burning. Took one of the Muslim prisoners and threw him inside. And he saw this Muslim prisoner frazzle, burn, boil, melt to pieces and then he was told now accept Christianity he said no still refused so then they said look we don't have any choice but to throw you inside as well so they took him and they're about to throw him inside and as they're going as well they're still saying to him look you've still got a chance accept Christianity He's still saying no 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 and they're about to push him inside and he starts to cry and the king goes stop 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 and he's really excited because they thought that they've, they've got him now He's going to crack. And they said, like, why are you crying? You know, you should have told us from the beginning. We've told you all this time. Accept Christianity. He goes, no. Like, what do you mean? You're, you're crying. Obviously, you want to, you know, you don't, you're not, you don't want to go ahead with this. No, he goes, no, no. The reason I'm crying is not because I'm scared of death. The only reason I'm crying is I've only got one life. And that life is going to end. 
I'm crying because I'm wishing had I had life equivalent to the hair on my body, I would want to give every single one for the sake of Allah. I've only got one and that's going to end now. The king was impressed with his firmness, that the fact that he did not flinch whatsoever. So the king goes, okay, fine. Like, take him away from me. Because I'm willing to set you free. But on the condition, like I mentioned, that you kiss my forehead. So even in this situation, he said, look, I'll kiss your forehead on the condition that not only you set me free, you set all of the Muslim prisoners free. Only on that condition. And he goes, fine. He kissed his forehead and he was set free with all the Muslim prisoners. When he came to Badina Munawara, what happens? Told Umar radiallahu ta'ala, what did Umar radiallahu anhu do? He stood up and he kissed his forehead and he said, I instruct all of the Sahaba to kiss him on his forehead. Thus they all lined up one after the other, honoring what he had to go through and the sacrifice he made. They all kissed the forehead of Abdullah bin Hudhafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now what's that got to do with Palestine and Masjid al-Aqsa? <laughs> because we, 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 we need to be focused on our topic of discussion. And the topic of discussion is how Rasulullah planted the love of Masjid al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Sahaba, in the hearts of the Ummah in general. And here we're talking about Sahaba. Yes, so this is what we come back to. We must stay on track. Okay, so he participated in the conquest of Jerusalem with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Besides that, we don't know much more in regards to what he did and how he participated. But that's something we do know. So that was uh, last week and the campaign was, and the lesson that we learned from is about remaining firm on the truth when we face with trials and challenges. Uh, we face trials and challenges every day in our life. Okay, we might not see them as that, but it is every single day we face trials and challenges. And it's for us to remember his example of remaining firm. Let's move on to this week's lesson, inshallah. So this is lesson number 44. The Sahaba in Baitul Maqdis and Palestine, part 18. And we're going to move on now. So we, we were speaking about the Sahaba that took part in the conquest. There's many more. The purpose is to talk about all of them. We've touched upon a few. We've mentioned four of them. So we're going to move on now, inshallah. We're going to speak about those Sahaba that took up residency in Baytul Maqdis, who, who either lived there from before or then went there, migrated there. They said, right, we're going to live here now. So remember, we spoke about those who led armies into Baytul Maqdis. Okay, those who took part in the liberation or the conquest. Now we're speaking about those Sahaba that took up residency because the Prophet ﷺ encouraged this and he told the Sahaba that if you were to go and stay somewhere, that is where you should go and stay. So some Sahaba actually went and did this and some actually, um, some originated from them. So today, inshallah, we're going to speak about um, a Sahabi who originated from Baytul Maqdis. Anybody know who that is? The first person to accept Islam from the whole of Palestine. Come on guys. I'm, I'm sure we know this. We, we do know the name. 
سیدنا تمیم الداری رضی اللہ عنہ تمیم الداری یس یو ہیڈ دا نیم یس نو می بی اوکے When we go along with this story, you'll realize that you do know this Sahabi and you, you have heard his name. So from amongst the people of Palestine, he was the first to accept Islam. That's the first thing. He was a Christian uh, priest in his early days. And he was well known for his servants and his worship as well in Palestine as a Christian. People knew about him. And he came with the whole Dari tribe. So they are the Dari Yid. So he didn't come alone. He came with the whole Dari tribe from Palestine to Medina in the year which we call Amul Wufud, the year of the delegations. Anybody know in the Seerah? Which year in the Seerah is that? Amul Wufud, the year of delegations when about 70 odd different delegations from different countries came to the Prophet ﷺ. In Masjid Nabwi, even now when you go in Masjid Nabwi, in the part which we know as the Riyadhul Jannah, you've got different pillars, right? One of them is called Ustuwanatul Wufud. The, the, the pillar of the delegations. So when these delegations would come, the Prophet ﷺ would, would dress smartly on those days, and then that is where he would welcome these delegations. And because remember, these were people who were traveling from different places. They weren't Muslim. Um, and um, some of them came to accept Islam, some of them came to inquire about Islam. There was different, different reasons why they came. So he honored the honorable people of different communities, he honored them. And this is something Islam teaches. Um, and this is where he would meet them. This happened in the ninth year after Hijrah. Ninth year after Hijrah, Amul Wufud. We've not quite got there in Asira yet, so um, you're excused. So in the ninth year after Hijrah, and he accepted Islam. Um, him and his people, he, they accepted Islam. Now, <coughs> Sayyiduna Tabim al-Dari radiallahu ta'ala is also, so he's the first to accept Islam. What else was he the first person to do? Yes, lighting up Masjid al-Nabawi. Now Imam al-Qurtubi rahmatullahi, now some of you will remember, we spoke about this whilst we were inside Masjid al-Aqsa as well. Those of you who came with us this time round, we spoke about this specifically uh, about Tamim al-Dari. Imam al-Qurtubi rahmatullahi gives us details of the lighting of the Masjid, Masjid al-Nabawi. And he says that when Tamim al-Dari radiallahu ta'ala who came from Palestine, um, he brought with him um, clips, clips so you can hang things up with, lanterns and olive oil. He mentioned these three things. And then he came to the masjid and it was a night of Jummah, so Thursday night. And when he comes into the masjid, he, he, he arrives there and he calls a slave called Abu Zinad. And he asked for his help. And he says, come on, let's hang these clips up. So they attached these clips to the walls of Masjid Nabwi. And then they hung the lanterns that he bought with him. And he fills, he pours the olive oil into these lanterns. And then they wait till sunset. And when it's sunset, it, it goes dark. He, he goes and he instructs Abu Zinan, the slave, to light up all of these lanterns. So he goes and lights them up. Once Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam comes out of his house, now remember, when he came out of his house, where would he be? In the masjid. So he came out of his house, automatically enters into the masjid, and he saw the whole masjid had been illuminated, just like this, mashallah. Okay? So the whole masjid had been illuminated. It was all bright. 
So the Prophet ﷺ was really impressed. And he says, Who's done this? So the people said, Tamim Ad-Dari. The Prophet ﷺ was so impressed with the lighting up of the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ said to him, as reported by Imam Al-Qurtubi, he says, Nawwarta al-Islam. Nawwar Allahu alayka dunya wal-akhirah. Amma innahu law kanat li-ibnatun lazawajtukaha. He says, O Tamim, you have illuminated Islam. May Allah illuminate your worldly life and your life hereafter. Had I had another daughter, I would have given her in your marriage. Imagine how happy the Prophet must have been that he was comfortable and confident in making Tamim al-Dari his son-in-law had he had another daughter. And how impressed he was with this particular action and this particular service. Um, now, Sayyidina Tamim al-Dari this also connects to, this also connects to then the hadith of the Prophet in supporting Masjid al-Aqsa with olive oil. Because this is where the idea comes from. Because he brings the olive oil, he lights it up. And then when somebody asks about Masjid al-Aqsa, the Prophet ﷺ, go and pray there. And if you can't go there, then send some oil to be burnt in the lamps. Um, Tamim al-Dari made a very unique and special request when he came and accepted Islam. So he's accepted Islam and everything. But he didn't go. He said, O Prophet of Allah, I've got a request. Listen, what is it? He said, I want you to appoint the land of Hebron. So where Al-Khalil is, Al-Khalil, the, the whole land around it, um, areas of Bethlehem as well, Al-Khalil. So Hebron in, in particular, and all the surrounding lands. Oh, Prophet of Allah, I want you to appoint that land for me and my family. Like give it to us. Like an endowment, like a waqf. Like I want you to make it waqf for me and my family. And remember, at that time, Palestine is under whose rule? It's not under Muslim rule, right? So it's definitely not under Muslim rule. We've established that. The Prophet ﷺ called Ali immediately. And he says, Ali, come and bring something to write on. He bought like a, a piece of leather. And he says, start writing. And he wrote, this is an, uh, 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 this is an allocation of the land of Hebron and its surrounding areas to Tamim al-Dari and his family and his generation until Qiyamah. And nobody can take it from them. The Prophet ﷺ actually handed over that land. Okay, He was basically exercising his religious authority, which was established many years ago in the night of Mi'raj, when in that land, of the land of Palestine, at the moment he's in Medina, okay, but he's giving away land in Palestine. Because many years ago, when he was the Imam of all of the prophets, that was like a flagship ceremony where all previous prophets handed over the leadership and the rule of that particular land to the Prophet. He was exercising that religious right that Allah had given to him. So this has been done now. Tamim al-Dari goes. By the way, he's the same Sahabi that narrates the story of seeing the Jal. Those of you who've heard that story, this is the same Sahabi. 400 years later, right? So we're going 400 years after this particular incident of Tamim al-Dari radiallahu ta'ala anhu, there was 
a governor of Gaza. In Gaza, there was a governor. And he demanded the land of Hebron from the Tamimi family. Even now, Tamim Adari had one daughter called Ruqayya. And from her, the progeny and the generation of Tamim Adari continues, his lineage. And even today, you will find uh, many people in Palestine with the family name At-Tamimi. And they are from the family of uh, Tamim Adari radiallahu anhu. Those of you who stayed at the Hashimi Hotel, the people who own that are Tamimi. Those of us who went to Maqasid, you know went to Maqasid Hospital? Those um, who came with us, Dr. Saab and others. If, if you remember the driver that we had, um, he turned around to us and he said, I am, I am Tamimi. Okay, originally from Hebron, but then they moved to Jerusalem and he explained to us as well why that happened. So he, they are Tamimi. So these are all from the family of this Sahabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, what happens 400 years later, there is a governor in Gaza who demands that land. I want that land. So the people pulled out this letter written on leather by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? And I said, look, the Prophet gave us this land. It's ours. Nobody can take it from us. So he still disputed. He goes, no, I don't accept. The matter went to the court. And the Qadi, who was the judge, when he looked at the evidence, this was presented to him then. He said, look, this is from the Prophet This land cannot be given to anybody else. It's ours. The Qadi said that this writing this letter of the Prophet Muhammad is not valid. I don't accept it. How can he give land which was not under his control? Okay, I think he was thinking about the Balfour. <laughs> That's what he was already thinking about. Because the Prophet didn't own that land, so how could he give it away? So he goes, I don't accept it. This letter is not valid. And the Prophet's allocation, it doesn't have any meaning. This is what he said. Now the matter was raised to the greatest and the most learned scholar present in Palestine at the time. Anybody know who that was? We're talking about 400 years after the Prophet wasallam's time. One of the greatest scholars was living in Palestine. This is in the Fatimid uh, era. He was a follower of Imam Shafi. He was living inside Masjid Al-Aqsa in Musalla Bab Al-Rahmah at the top of Musalla Bab Al-Rahmah and he was busy writing his book, Imam Ghazali. Imam Ghazali Rahmatullah at that time was living inside Masjid Al-Aqsa where we find Musalla Bab Al-Rahmah and he was writing his book, Ihya, one of the most famous books he has written. Whilst he's writing this book inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, this case comes to him and is presented to him. Immediately, Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi, the first thing he says, al-qadi kafir. He says, this judge has become a kafir. This is kufr. Why? He said the Prophet wasallam would be in this world and he would allocate and appoint people, palaces and homes in Jannah. Okay, palace for you in Jannah, home for you in Jannah, land for you in Jannah. We believe that he has the authority to give people land in Jannah. Of course, we believe he can give anyone any land in this world. If Allah has given Jannah to him, 
Okay, why can't he allocate land? So this Qadi, because he rejected the letter of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says this Qadi is a kafir and he says the Prophet's allocation is true and it's totally valid and we stick by it. So then the, 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 it was decided in favor of the people, the Tamimi people that this land will remain for them. It was theirs then, it's theirs now and it will remain theirs inshallah until the day of judgment. This is the promise of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this was Tamim Ad-Dari radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He took up, he was from Palestine. He went back to Palestine and then he passes away and is buried in a place called Beit Jibreel, um, which is in Hebron, but it's quite further away from the masjid. Um, Beit Jibreel is, is further away and, and there's a tomb there dedicated to him and a burial site. Uh, which is not generally visited by Muslims. Um, but yeah, Bayt Jibreel is where he is buried. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So what lesson do we take from that? So this week's campaign, what we can learn from here is serving the masajid of Allah. Any masjid we're speaking about now, including this one, any masjid. Serving the Masajid of Allah is a very highly virtuous deed. And it's something that pleases Allah and it pleases the beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was so impressed with the service of Tamim al-Dari just for lighting up the Masjid that he was prepared to give him his daughter if he had another daughter and make him his son-in-law. Now imagine if the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was so impressed with him lighting up Masjid Nabwi at the time Imagine if we become instrumental in serving the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, which number one is under severe occupation and number two is neglected generally by the Ummah. So this is just to give us some encouragement within our capacity, whatever we can do, including this attendance now. Okay, what we're doing now, you might think, oh, it's not a big thing. I'm not doing anything. No, this is huge. This is the, this is, I would say, the minimum we can do on a regular basis to keep ourselves connected and focused on this particular issue. Otherwise, as time goes by, what happens? We'll become more and more distant. Okay, and we forget about it. So this, the least we can do is at least get together for this purpose, for this sake, so that we'll make dua for it. We'll think about it. We'll talk about it. We'll learn about it. And as a result of this, we'll become more aware. The more aware we are, the more practice there will be. The more practice there will be, inshallah, we will see some kind of outcome. If not today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, the day after. But slowly but surely, some kind of action will prove beneficial. But if we don't talk about it, get to it together for the sake of it, what's going to happen? Look at so many other countries where people don't travel to Masjid al from. It's never mentioned, never discussed, never thought about. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Now inshallah, we'll give a few moments uh, to recite the Quran, inshallah. Just a quick update on what's happening in Palestine. So, I'll share with you one incident from this week. Um, and this is in the, in the space of, I think, three days. Um, this has happened twice where a huge kind of rock or stone from the wall of Masjid al-Aqsa has fell. You might think, why is that a big deal? It's a big, very big deal. Because 
you've seen the structure of Masjid al-Aqsa. So the, 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 first, the first rock that fell was in the, if you go to Al-Aqsa Qadim, and you go down, and then you see the library. Um, so inside the library, that part which is just in front of Masjid al-Aqsa, from, from the wall of that library, a huge rock fell, fell down. The second one that fell down, if you remember the double gate, Bab al-Muzdawaj, we said Bab al-Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The first part is where you go into the library, and then there's a second part of that entrance. Okay, and there was a small mihrab there as well. If you remember, small mihrab. On top of that mihrab, okay, from on top of there, a rock has fell as well. Now, the only reason why these rocks would fall in this way is because of excavations happening underneath or close by to the area. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is um, the occupation do not allow for the Palestinians to carry out any type of maintenance work. So it's not a simple thing of, oh, it's fell down, let's, let's go and put it back. It's not allowed. And also they're not allowed to carry out any maintenance to reinforce the building, to strengthen what's already there, to do any kind of work. And even to do any kind of work, it is a whole lengthy process. And most of the time, it's not permitted, not allowed. If somebody was to fix that, they'd get prisoned. They'd get a fine. If they were to, on their own accord, were to go and try and... It's happened many a times when the slabs have been broken. You know, the ones that we walk on, slabs are broken, it's dangerous. The maintenance guys have come out, they've fixed it. They've been arrested, they've been fined, they've been put in prison for some time. Why? Because they were fixing the slabs in Masjid al-Aqsa. So this is the condition in which Masjid al-Aqsa is in at the moment. And there is fear if one, two, three, and this happened in recent days. This is now, just not so long ago, uh, along the western wall as well. Um, there were certain rocks that fell and they left it. They didn't, they didn't do anything to it because they want to be the ones who have the final say. They want to show that we will deal with it let us do it um, and this is a, a kind of another thing that's happening so as we know about Musalla Marwani we all know the story of Musalla Marwani now and the large area next to it we have the Al-Aqsa Qadim so both of these areas were open between 1996-1998 however between Al-Qibli Musalla Al-Qibli and the Islamic Museum okay so remember the Moroccan gate is here and you've got Musalla al-Qibli here. Between that area where the museum is and uh, Musalla al-Qibli, there's, there's a whole land isn't there, okay? So beneath that, right? You've not been there, have you, right? That area beneath there is also a huge area. That's been occupied as well since 1967. So since 1967, no Muslim has accessed that particular area, okay? And um, even the Awqaf haven't been there. They don't have access to it. Why? Because Babul Magariba has been occupied. And the entrance to go in there, there's only two. Either you go from Babul Magariba has the original gate beneath where the one is now. So that's where you can enter the area from. Or you can go, for, go there from the wells that are in Aqsa. But the wells are all sealed as well. So there's only two ways you can get there. So th that is where a lot, on a general basis, Palestinians say that they hear a lot of digging happening in that area. So now the focus is shifting to this area, bringing this to light to Muslims and Palestinians because nobody's actually aware of what's happening here. 
since 1967. But one thing we know, there's a lot of digging happening in that place. And the danger is this. This is very close to the Moroccan gate. It's very close to the Western Wall. It's right there. So if they want to include and expand that into the already area that has been expanded, which would mean they would be getting a large area inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. They have already built a synagogue there. And there could be an expansion for that. Again, another reason for us to continue our efforts, continue our du'as, continue raising awareness. This is all being done underground, okay? And this is fresh now, happening as we're speaking. And one of the reasons why I mentioned these stones that have fell is most likely because of the digging that's happening in a very close proximity to it. Because it's right next to it, isn't it? You think about where the library is, okay? It's almost just next to it. So that is where the digging and the excavations continue to happen. Only Allah knows what's really happening there, what they're doing. But this is happening today on the ground. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, help us to be active for the cause of Baytul Maqdis Masjid Al-Aqsa and accept us. Jazakumullah khairan. We'll make some dhikr and conclude with dua. Recite the Rusharif and inshallah everybody um, take part and join in. La ilaha illallah, 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 illallah, Subhanallah, 
أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا وشفيعنا وحبيبنا وسندنا ومولانا محمد مبارك وسلم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين O kind and loving Allah O most merciful Allah O most compassionate Allah O Allah we beg you for the forgiveness of our sins O Allah you love to forgive sins O Allah please forgive us our sins O Allah O Allah you are very kind and merciful O Allah You are the only forgiver O Allah We beg for your forgiveness O Allah From head to toe we are drowning in sins O Allah We have committed many acts of disobedience O Allah We acknowledge and confess O Allah We are wrongdoers O Allah We are criminals O Allah We have done much wrong O Allah But we come and ask only you O Allah You are the only forgiver O Allah You love to forgive O Allah You are the ghaffar O Allah You are the most forgiving You are the only forgiver O Allah Allah, we come only to you and beg only from you, O Allah. Allah, we beg you for your forgiveness, O Allah. Allah, if you grant us your forgiveness, O Allah, it means everything for us, O Allah. It will make no difference to you whatsoever, but it will make all the difference to us, O Allah. If you don't 
forgive us, O oh Allah. We'll be great losers, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we have no one to go to, O oh Allah, nowhere to turn to. We turn only to you, O oh Allah, in this blessed moment, O oh Allah, in this blessed place, O oh Allah, on this blessed occasion, O oh Allah. We beg you for your forgiveness, O oh Allah. We are in need of your forgiveness, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Forgive the major and the minor, O oh Allah. The open and the secret, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, forgive all our sins, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O oh Allah. Make sins detestable to us, O oh Allah. Make us hate disobedience, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of your obedience, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of salah and Quran and dhikr and sadaqah and dua, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Make it easy for us to obey you, O oh Allah. Make it difficult for us to disobey you, O oh Allah. Grant us your love, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Grant us the love of the Sunnah, O oh Allah. Help us to revive Islam and Iman within our lives, O oh Allah. Grant us good health, O oh Allah. Grant us barakah in our lives, O oh Allah. Grant us happiness within our homes, O oh Allah. Grant us barakah within our sustenance, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help us, O oh Allah. Protect us, O oh Allah, guide us, O oh Allah, sustain us, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, look after our parents, O oh Allah. Have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, take care of our parents, O oh Allah. Grant our parents good health, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, in their final moments, grant them Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Grant them Husnul Khatima, O oh Allah. Those of our parents that have left the world, fill their graves with Noor, O oh Allah. Elevate their status in the hereafter, O oh Allah. Grant them Jannatul Firdaus, O oh Allah. Protect them from the hellfire, O oh Allah. A time will come when we all have to leave the world. We don't know where we will be, which place we will be, what condition we will be in, O oh Allah. You be with us in our final moments, O oh Allah. Make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Make our final action our best action, O oh Allah. And grant us the kalima, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, when we are leaving the world. O oh Allah, accept us for the service of Baytul Maqdis, O oh Allah. Protect Masjidul Aqsa, O oh Allah. Liberate Masjidul Aqsa, O oh Allah. Protect it, O oh Allah. Liberate it from the occupation, O oh Allah. Help those who are defending it, O oh Allah. Strengthen them, O oh Allah. Grant them sabr, O oh Allah. Help them to continue resisting the occupation, O oh Allah. Grant them more strength, O oh Allah. Strengthen them in their iman, O oh Allah. Increase them, O oh Allah. Grant them more barakah, O oh Allah. Keep them firm, O oh Allah. Protect them from all types of calamities, O oh Allah. You become theirs, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, be on their side, O oh Allah. Grant them victory, O oh Allah. Safeguard them from defeat, O oh Allah. Make us from amongst those who serve the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. And do not replace us, O oh Allah. Accept everybody who attended today, O oh Allah. Fulfill their permissible wishes in both dunya and akhirah, O oh Allah. Become pleased with them, O oh Allah. Grant us all the ability to become steadfast for this cause, O oh Allah. Accept us, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked you of many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah, Rabbi.